weekly travel program, Jet Sitting with Janet, is proudly sponsored by MLT Car Hire and Tours. Are you looking for a highly professional, established vehicle rental service? Look no further. MLT Car Hire and Tours delivers on service excellence and competitive prices. Log on to mltcarhireandtours.co.za for their full range of benefits or MLT Car Hire and Tours on Facebook. Are you looking for a highly professional established vehicle rental service and shuttle service where client satisfaction is a priority? Look no further. MLT Car Hire is committed to delivering quality low mileage vehicles to suit your budget. MLT Car Hire also specializes in mini and long leases for individuals and corporates as well as staff transport and airport transfers with offices at the airport and in the Helderberg area. We are proud members of Satsa, Fedhaza, and Cape Town Tourism. MLT Car Hire delivers on service excellence and competitive prices. Log on to MLT Car Hire and Tours for our full range of benefits or MLT Car Hire and Tours on Facebook. We're chatting this afternoon in line with all things thespian with Natalia de Rocha. Now, when we say the name Natalia, we don't need a big introduction because if you don't know Natalia from stage, then you definitely know her from film and television. But unknown to us, she has been lighting up our skies and our television screens since the early 80s, having graduated in 1974. And she was one of, in 1978, one of only 15 students of color to be accepted at Stellenbosch University. So pushing the glass ceiling and making changes as far back as the 70s. Natalia, it is such an honor for us to have you on the show today. Ah, thank you, Janet. <laughs> you know, we all we do what we have to do when we're in spaces, then somewhere down the line, you know, you can't forever hide. You've got to start owning your space. And that's what I learned. Absolutely, Natalia. But, you know, you say this like it's a simple thing. But when I look at your achievements over the years, you know, just creating new audiences, taking drama to communities, bringing kids into new spaces, you know, things like Adam Small Festival and the Billy Elliot of Hannibal Park. I mean, there are so many stories to tell here, but a story is best told directly from the narrator. So I want you to just tell us a little bit about your history, Natalia. Okay, I grew up in a family of six. Now, you know, in a big family like that, the parents, they don't sort of uh, discipline you. It goes down into the brothers and sisters ahead of you. So you have... Don't worry. I'm also a victim of uh, discipline by proxy. <laughs> no, true, true. So, I mean, I was the fifth child in the, uh, in the group of six. So there was another brother just after me. So we were uh, four girls and two boys. So it was uh, two girls and a boy, two girls and a boy. So that was the sort of uh, pace that we had. And my dad was a musician. My mom was a housewife. So my dad was sort of very creative. He had many mm -hmm. talents. He was a artist contractor. He owned taxis and... You know, I grew up in the Strand. I was born in Somerset West, but uh, I grew up in the Strand. 
come from a very mixed family. My dad is sort of 50% Portuguese because his dad comes from Cape Verde Island. His story is also another story because my grandfather jumped ship and he got into Cape Town. And then him and three other guys from uh, Cape Verde Island, they came here and they had a ball because, I mean, the women were all fabulous. You know? <laughs> Natalia, I have news for you. We're still fabulous. So, yeah, and um, I am busy with my dad's uh, sort of uh, ancestry. So I'm trying to sort of piece things together because, you know, those days they didn't talk about their families and where they come from. I only got to know late, much later in my life about the sort of colorful history I have on my mom's side and my dad's side. So my mom and my dad got married before 1948. So they were allowed to get married. This is the whole thing. So I am very mixed. And um, my mom's father comes from London. His surname is Fletcher. And I mean, I'm going into that family as well, trying to find out, you know, this is what it's all about. The colorfulness of our genes, we just have to accept and roll with it and not, you know, feel threatened about who we are or where we are. So in my family, I got, you know, trained by my brothers and sisters and you had to stay in line. You couldn't step out of line. Um, my mom was a very domestic woman. She was, you know, at home. She never worked anywhere else but home. So when you get home, there would be something for you to eat and the washing would be done and the house would be clean and everything. So, and when I went to university at Stellenbosch, you know, and she was the one that came with me every time when I directed a play, you know, with a uh, festival for the university uh, the Corsesa. So um, she went with me and she was very proud of whatever I've been doing. You know, I did my trick. I didn't get a, um, a university pass. I went back and wrote again and um, got my university pass. And they said, okay, so what do you want to do? But my mom is this first kind of person. Listen, you can't sit at home. You have to do some work. So she found Colored Affairs. Let me tell you, I don't know if you remember that we had something called Colored Affairs. She found Colored Affairs and told them. Natalia, I think we, I think we are a very rare breed uh, of people who were fortunate enough to have our moms there to receive us when we got back from school. And, you know, I used to often, for many years, say, uh, my mom is at home. But it is quite a thing. I'm also one of six children. I'm the last born. It is quite a thing when there's one income earner. It's usually left to the mum to balance that budget. And, you know, we'll find that our mums were often entrepreneurial. We ate out of our garden. The fact that mum was there to support you on your university education journey it's such an investment in you, you know, and uh, their efforts, I think, are really resonated in our achievements. So it's quite special to have that. And yes, I do remember the House of Delegates, or as we used to call the House of Degenerates, <laughs> the Department of Private Affairs in the tricameral system after that. So it's quite a legacy, yes. 
So, so she phoned Coloured Affairs and she said, listen, I've got a daughter, she's got matric, she can't sit at home. This was the whole thing. Her whole thing is, you cannot sit at home. There's no lazy being here at home. So Coloured Affairs, what can she type? My mom says, yes, she can type. I couldn't type. I couldn't type, okay? My mom said, yes, she can type. So they said, so mom was actually your first agent, Natalia, do you realize? <laughs> she was. Yes, and then she says, okay, so uh, we're going to, um, she's, yes, we've got uh, secretaries at primary schools. We're looking for secretaries. Where? Send us a list and we will go and have a look. So they send a list and my mom said to me, okay, you are going to do typing lessons. There was a Muslim lady behind us, in the street behind us. She was giving evening typing classes. So I went to typing lessons. I did play piano previously, so my fingers weren't that, uh, you know, tight. So it was easy for me. So we get the list, and there's a, a thing on, it says, Crutisville Primary. Now, I we know who the principal of Crutisville Primary is. My sister is married to his son. <laughs> so we found... Mr. Uh, Mr. Cornelison and said Natalia would like to come for the you know this job. So I went through to Clutisville and he gave me a letter and he let me type and after five minutes he came back and I gave him the letter and he said okay you've got the job. And for four years after matric I was a secretary at Clutisville Primary School while I was marking my time and knowing what not knowing what I wanted to do. So how fabulous to have an income, to have an income and to be part of that community of Clutisville for four years, Natalia. Yes, it was great. It was great. 181 rand a month, which was fabulous money. That I which was a fortune, actually, an absolute fortune. What year would that have been in? That would be uh, 74, from 74 onwards. So... Mm. You know what's so interesting um, when you talk about sorting through dad's, you know, legacy and papers, I'm doing the same for with my dad's information. My dad was in the police service and um, I found one of his pay slips to discover that he earned 40 rand a month, 40 rand a month. And I wondered, and this is why I say hats off to our moms, to be able to feed all of us and bring all of us together, you know, around one table. And I grew up thinking, Natalia, by the way, that we were fabulously wealthy, you know, because the pots were always on the stove and the house was busy with lots and lots of people in and out. And uh, you've been to my home, so you know the kind of hospitality it's like, you eat with us, then you take the parcel home because that's how we roll. And that's how home life was. And when I reflect back to see, you know, what we actually earned in terms of mainstream income, it was almost nothing. So hats off to moms. No, no, she she was a force to be reckoned with. My dad was the, you know, the creative one. He would go out and play at every restaurant that's on the waterfront in the Strand. You know, those days it was, you know, white restaurants, you know. So so my dad having a colored band and I started singing in my dad's band in from standard seven onward. So I would go, my brother was in the band. He was sort of the leader of the band. He played drums and he sang and we had four other guys and my dad. So my dad is sort of very old school type of music and sometimes he would 
do new songs with the band as well. So I started very early earning my keep in the household as well. So we would go to the restaurant and we would perform. And these would be all the top people of the Strand, Somerset, West areas, doctors, lawyers and stuff coming to this restaurant. But when it came to the break that we had, we had to go sit outside in the yard and eat our food there. We were not allowed to sit in the in the restaurant. But that was not strange for me. Only when when you know when it became known to me that we are not allowed to be in that restaurant, we can perform for them, we can entertain them, but we cannot sit down in a little corner somewhere in the restaurant and eat our food. So we had to go and sit outside. But it was a good um lesson for me to look at what this industry is all about because our family they most of them are musical so every sunday after my dad sleep after lunch my dad would go and sleep would wake up my mom and them would be in the kitchen doing the cakes and teas for now for four o'clock tea or whatever it is and he would sit in the lounge and play piano then everybody would gravitate to the lounge and each child had a song to sing so Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing, Natalia. You know, you grew up around music. What a wonderful childhood. So what I want to ask is how did all of this translate to where you're at today? Because our listeners are listening to this journey and they're curious to know what brought you to this point. Uh, Okay, so I needed to... I, I knew that I wanted to perform. I wanted to be in music and acting and stuff like that. So for me, this this was sort of my driving force. Just a, um, a year before, in 76, I went on tour with a, a drama group, you know, the Colored Affairs drama group that do the uh, prescribed work. So I got there via my youth club. And, you know, everything, my whole journey was, was was marked with people that enabled me or gave me opportunities. So John Margerman was in Somerset West. He was the youth club leader, and he loved big productions. He did person uh, plays and nativity plays, but big ones. Janet, like in the yard of the Methodist school, there would be big uh, sets, and you would have to climb on top of the set, and, and the angel would come and visit Mary, on top of the set, we had donkeys and, and cows and and whatever you want. That is how big his brain was. And this was early 70s. So then we ent- he entered us into a competition. And um, they uh, sort of a one-act play, Colored Affairs was, Colored Affairs again was doing this regional. And we won the regional for that Somerset West district. Then we went to the finals. And the finals was held in Joseph Stone Auditorium. And I got best uh, Afrikaans um, female actress. That is where I won that, that award. And then the lady inside, um, Esther van Reisweg, I think her name was, she was doing the drama groups touring with the matriculant um, prescribed work. So the following year, this is 1976, I went on tour because I was working for Clarity Effect. I was at a school. So I went on tour and got my salary for six months uh, just performing, acting 
his place. I mean, it was a lovely group. We went to Durban. We first time that we went even to Ukip. Uh, we went to Southwest Africa. So that gave me a taste of what this this business. Claudia, that is amazing, amazing to be able to tour and get paid a salary. You were an artist in residence even before the term was coined. <laughs> you made it work for you. That's just phenomenal. Next year. Um, so this was 76, so I needed to do a little bit more. So I was still at the school. I came back to the school. I, I saw an ad in the newspaper, because those days we still read news, newspapers, and I saw Mars Phillips, and they give evening classes, drama classes. I phoned, and Rita Mars answered the phone, and she had this beautiful voice. And I said, uh, Miss Mars, my name is... Natalia de Rosa, and uh, I would like to know, do you uh, allow people to come and do courses with you? Remember, we were still in apartheid. So I had to ask, do you students? And she said, my God, darling, anybody, anybody with talent can come to us. So I started evening classes at Mars Phillips. So that sort of just clicked it on a little bit further. And then a friend of our family, who is a, I mean, he's, I'm not, I'm not trying to, he came via, 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 and he was a lecturer at, uh, at, at UWC, and he phoned me and he said, Natalia, uh, they're opening up at Stellenbosch University, and I want you to be the first person that I want to send there, you need to go and show them what colored people are all about. Hans Hiesler, his name is Dr. Hans Hiesler. He's a historian and he's written the book that the white people have point whatever, 3% in their uh, colored blood in them. So, <laughs> so he said, he's an agitator. <laughs> he said, Those are always the best kinds of friends to have. You need to be the one to go to Stellenbosch and show them who and what colored people are. So there, there I was. I applied to Stellenbosch and was accepted. And yeah, and you know, the rest is history because the first day we were was 15 of us, we, we sort of banded together and looked at ourselves and said, okay, let's just go Place out this joint here, look at what the places look like. We walk straight to the, the nails here, the gathering place of all the students. And as we set foot into the cafeteria, the whole load of white students just turned and looked at us. And it was, we were walking in this little group to where we could buy something. And we just felt these looks his eyes on us and it felt like we were new animals that's been just imported into the zoo you know and it, it was the weirdest feeling i spent a few days you know coming to the news and then i decided no i'm here to find my own way you know not for the rest of my life i'm gonna sit here in a little corner with all of us colored students at the table, no, 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 no. I've got to fight my battles. It need to be broader. It need to be bigger battles here. Because we chose this to show who we are. 
And I mean, yeah, I, I had one guy come running up to me and he said to me, see for me, who you to clear into this? And I said, hey, this is a And I mean, that, that, was, that was my thing. I had to have, you know, armor. You needed to be 16 to take that. But we chose, I chose. And it just shows how little people knew, uh, how little we knew about each other. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, the four years there was great. I enjoyed it. It was fun. And I made very good friends. And it, it was lacking. You know, I was the, the first one to, yeah, when I graduated, my mom died in the year, my last year before graduation. And she was looking forward to, to this. This was 1981. And, um, I, um, she died in September and December I graduated, my brother and my, my dad went with me to the thing. And yeah, there was, I, you know, uh, it was PV Buerta still being the man that puts the mighty board on your head and say, now you've got your degree. So there's somewhere, somewhere in, in the newspapers, there was a photograph of that because I was the only one, the first one to get my degree on that day, you know. So, but life, all oh life. <laughs> I don't think we have enough time to tell you all my stories. I think this is a whole book that... I know. I'm just thinking that we need a much longer interview. And there are plans for those longer interviews, which I have to tell you about for 2023. But I want you to tell us a little bit about the theater productions. We have about five minutes left. And your work with the Applause Arts Initiative. Okay, so when I came back to Cape Town, after 20 years in Johannesburg, I came back. You know, my life started, my career started in, in, in Johannesburg, even though all the seeds were planted in my home in Brewery Road with my dad and my mom and my family. Um, I came back in the early 2000, 2001, two. So I was here and I was involved in lots of, uh, they knew, they found out that I'm in Cape Town and I was involved in, shopping mall competitions. So they would invite me and I would be a judge. And I looked at the talent and I thought, oh God, we've got brilliant talent. Yes, we've got this talent. But nobody's doing anything. Nobody, nobody's sort of looking at them and saying, okay, you know what? That song that you sang was the wrong song for you. Maybe you should just think about singing, you know, different songs. Or that partner that you're singing with is the wrong partner. Or that costume that you wore, or those shoes that you wore, or this, you know, just basic technique and costume and makeup and look and stuff like that. Now I looked at it and I sat crying. I mean, it was terrible because the talent was phenomenal. It wasn't packaged. And and we needed to give them that package, that training. So I, for my first show, I went to Artscape and I said to them, I met with Simone Eradin and I said to her, okay, I would like to do a, a project where I bring all the shopping mall owners, 14 of them together. I will train them. I will get my uh, friends that are all professional dancers and, and makeup artists and hairdressers and stuff like that and Christian people. I will bring them in and we will run a two-week course of just 
training them, giving them good music, choreography, makeup lessons, costumes, talk to them about the whole process of what you do when you're on stage, because you just cannot go on. It's not a karaoke competition. This is, if you want this to be your profession, you need to be professional and you need to go on. Now, Natalia, there was no such, there was no such course. No. Like this, that prepared you in this way. No. So this was quite, quite valuable for the people that were involved in the program. Exactly. So I went to my friend's night. Sean Adams, he's, he's, uh, he's got a beautiful uh, salon in, in observatory. It's, it's called Image and Hair. I went to Sean. Sean was a Sun City dancer. He danced over in Spain. He was, he's brilliant. So they know about the pizzazz and what it needs. I went to Christopher Kindle. Bless his soul. And Christopher, Christopher came on board and he was choreographer. I brought Nigel Lucas in. So Sean came in and did makeup and hair and stuff. And Sean brought the, the fashion side to it. And we had some sponsorship from some big, um, dressmakers and stuff, you know, chains of stores, and the, they dressed the girls in beautiful dresses. I got um, Carducci, uh, a friend of mine, her husband, they were involved with Carducci and in the top level, and I got sponsorship for 10 years from Carducci with suits. That is amazing. What an amazing partner to have on board. Yeah, so so this for me is, you know, you need to show people that this, just with help from people around you. And I mean, Ulfa Robertson, she, she was at school with me, and she was the one that brought Carducci to me. You know, so so this for me, I mean, I'm happy and I'm glad and I'm proud to know that my friends, my school friends also pitched in and came on board and, and helped. So what happened is that first show was magnificent. The, the, the people loved it. Janet, let me tell you, I didn't have sound because that time Artscape didn't give sound. So I paid them 10,000 rand for sound out of my own pocket. That is amazing. That would, would have been, what year would that have been in? That was uh, 2002, 2003. Gosh, that's a huge amount of money, Natalia. I earned that as as a performer one, and then I put it into my sound and stuff like that. So, so it was, I mean... So I you reinvested in it. Yeah, I wanted to invest in it. And it was brilliant. The choreography was fantastic. The people never saw anything like that before, you know? So that was the first year. Then I thought, okay, the next year, I need to, to just get my training. I will do more training like this, but I need to put a project next to it. So it's not just you bring your song and we're going to choose songs for you. That is where Vava's J started. 2003, I started 2003, looking at the heritage of the music that I grew up with. So I needed to put a project together and I wanted the children to go home. You know, when we talk about intergenerational dialogue, parents and children don't. Absolutely. And this is where my head, so so I always think massive, I big, think big. So this is what, what my idea was. They will go home, the, the group will go home, 
speak to their parents and say, Father's Day in his 60s and 70s. What did you wear? What was the music like? What cars, what parties and stuff. So that, because 60s and 70s, that era is in my head. I know how I was raised during that time. I knew about parties, the 21st birthday parties with the fancies and stuff like that, with the band playing in the yard, you know, those kind of things. So I needed the children to go home. It was a project that they put together. And from that project, they, they would put the music of that time, you know, the, sure. the butlers and the invaders. And that's how Melanie came to me. She heard that I was doing a show called Vava's Day and her father's music was the band, the invaders, was in the show. She came and saw the I show. remember that. And I remember that. That was amazing. I saw her posting it once and I had no idea, which explains why her brother and the family are all musical. Yes, yes. So so for her to see that, also I knew her uh, her father. Her father was, he, they came, he's a very good, he, the band came and performed in our area and our house would be the house where they have lunch at, in the Strand. So that is how small this thing is. So if my brother being the drummer, he knew the whole of uh, the invaders and he was friends with them. So, I mean, it was, it was very, you know, sort of, um, it had to happen. And it was all because I knew that we need to have children speaking to their parents and have a show that people can relate to and people can, you know, it's somewhere in their memory, the grand grannies and mothers and fathers and stuff like that, that they heard these songs, you know, so I've got a question. What I find interesting, Natalia, is that, you know, the whole concept of the remix People think they just invented it, the Elton John, Dua Lipa collaborations. But that is what you guys were doing, is doing remixes, bringing the old and the new together. Yeah, and, and it was so important because, you know, suddenly the parents and grandparents, because we had, I promise you, when I had that first two weeks, I think we had a two-week run. It was full every night because the parents and the grannies and the aunties and all of them came. So, Natalia, I'm very, very interested to hear now, what are you involved in now? Is Applause Arts Initiative still ongoing? How can people engage with you? Okay, so we have, you know, I got involved with Adam Small in 2016, or 15. So I've got some Adam Small stuff that I would love to uh, get back into. I would like to do again what we did with Adam Small Big Jazz, and I want to make it bigger and and open it up for more people to enjoy it and, and take it further. I think Adam would be able to, his production could go to Holland. We can do the Dutch there with our Afrikaans singing. Um, I, I believe that there's so much more that we can do, you know. Um, community development cannot stop. We need to get theater, arts and everything into the schools and we need to bring children, I mean, uh, his Golden Arrow was one of my sponsors and we took a lot of children to the theater, you know, and, and let them go and see plays and stuff like that. So we need to really uplift our communities. And I think that forward, 
I think that is what I'm going to, what Applause Arts Initiative will do, is have the one uh, social investment where we do the Golden Arrow buses, do the theatre and stuff, and also then on the professional side, have a show that we can entertain our tourists with, to show them this well, is... Well, Natalia, it's so wonderful to hear You've been an arts activist from your, the very beginning of your career, and it's heartening to see that you continue to lobby for the arts. I think that there's a lot of activity that um, supports what you're doing, and I think that the whole CSI landscape has changed and is certainly open to this kind of opportunity. And I wish you all the best in this initiative. I'd love to hear more we will have a wider conversation about this. I think listeners are just intrigued to know that you are there and you are active. You know, we do miss you. Um, we don't know sometimes where we find and where we can see those, those artists of our childhood. Because I remember seeing you on the television screen and thinking, oh my goodness, what a presence this woman has. And you know, you just owned that space. And that was me as a kid, you know, growing up, seeing this on the on the small screen and thinking, where does this woman come from? She's fascinating. And being very aware that, you know, the, the, the theatre and the arts was quite exclusive in that era. And I think that that is the thing that people remember about you the most, Natalia. It's uh, it's really a lifetime, a legacy um, of contribution to the arts. Natalia, thank you so much for joining us today. Any closing words before we say goodbye to our listeners? Janet, you know, I will continue and continue fighting the fight to get as many of us out there and make sure that they can get go to university and have that behind them, not just be a performer, and think that you, for the rest of your life, you don't need to study or do things like that. But thank you very much for this opportunity to talk to you. All the best, Natalia. Take care. Thank you very much. Enjoy your day. We're chatting this afternoon about all things arts and culture. And being a great fan of the theatre, it gives me great pleasure to be able to chat to a few divas and a few frontline producers that are bringing the festive cheer to our theaters and that anticipation before the curtain goes up. We went last night. We did an introduction on Rafik and Rafik, we want to just say thank you for all that fabulous booging last night. It was a great show. Well, you are so, so welcome. We are so happy that you enjoyed it. We worked so hard on it and we all we oh, wanted to was for you to enjoy. You know, sitting in front of the stage, we see all that fabulous polish. Now I know that there's a huge amount of work that goes into that show. It was slick. You guys didn't miss a beat. <gasps> the music was rousing. The dancing was impeccable. Now tell us how you got to that point, Rafik. It was a fabulous show last night. Oh, where does one start by choosing your 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 pick of the crop, I would imagine. So we start by getting, we start like eight months prior, by the way. So that's where it all starts, where we start getting together the, the team, 
the cast, band members, the dancers, are trying to handpick them. So they aren't a band, if you know what I mean. We've got to put them together to become the boogie band. And then your singers, of course, you know, the frontline people who have to carry the entire show. So, yeah, it's about an eight-month process for us. Amazing. And, you know, when we see the finished product on stage, Rafik, it just all seems so seamless. And that's why it's always a crying show when the show ends and people have to go their separate ways because there's such an emotional connection. That happens. You become a family. Yes, that is true. And also when after two and a half hours of being there, they still scream for more. We want more. Like yes. me. Yes, we do indeed. And we're asking for more and more. And your performers were most generous last night and uh, just phenomenal. Now, Rafik, our listeners are curious to know, what is that boogie show? Well, that boogie show is something that has been coming on for a few years now. This is our 13th year, um, minus two, I would say, because of COVID. So there was a time when we couldn't boogie, but uh, is in its 13th year. It started out at the CTICC and the very Marlene Naru, who you'll be hearing in a while, came to see it there and said to me, this should be with us. And at that time, she wasn't even the CEO. But of course, you know, Marlene, what Marlene wants, she gets. And that's what Marlene manifests, the universe presents. Just, yeah. She, she puts it out there and then she makes it happen. So it, it happened. And we went there about seven years ago, maybe, Marlene. And then yes. from there, there's no looking back. It's just going up and up. And every time then Marlene says, yes, everything's for Boogie. We do it for Boogie. The new lights for Boogie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just, just have to say thank you. Lighting. It was <laughs> phenomenal last night. You know, that lighting has an emotion all of its own. It was just fabulous. Who, who put that together? Is that you? Is that tech? What is that magic? Okay, that magic starts with a person called Fahim Bardeen. And Fahim Bardeen is a, an award-winning lighting designer. So it's not just, I mean, obviously there's a, a technician or two that work with him that might be pushing the buttons, but the person who does the design, he sits in on the rehearsals, he takes our playlist, and each thing, we have nearly 300 cues, lighting cues in that one show. So it makes it feel like a rock concert. And, you know, the people that come to see the boogie shows are people who don't normally perhaps go to the theater. So they, their first experience is this, and we want to give them the bells and whistles. And only Artscape can really do that, you know. Bells and whistles, a dag by the seer, you have that kind of experience. Wonderful. You know, there was such a diverse crowd I must tell you, when I look around, there was such a diverse crowd. And I said, what is the thread that pulls everybody together? Because I whipped out my phone. I wanted to take a picture of the lighting. And, and someone behind me just wrapped me over the knuckles and said, put away your phone. And I was oh. like, okay. <laughs> I you, you're allowed this. to. No, no, no. We allow people to take the photographs and to take the videos. It is very much allowed. So whoever... 
<laughs> no, it wasn't that. It was just the way she said it, and I got such a fright, I never took my phone oh. out again. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the people sitting next to us were like suddenly part of our family, and we yeah. were having this ongoing exchange and, you know, just booging to everything. And I was like, I need this person in my universe because we can go to shows together. They are so much fun. And then, of course, at the bottom of the theater, there was somebody celebrating a birthday. These people never sat down. They were dancing the entire time. And oh. I felt a little bit out of the action because upstairs, you know, we were not jiving the way they were jiving downstairs, Rafik. I think downstairs was definitely the hipper crowd than us. And uh, it was just an amazing energy. And that's the beauty of the theater. It transports yes. You yes. can be having the worst day ever and you come out of there, it's cathartic. It's an elation that cannot be described. It's definitely something I wish industry, the pharmaceutical industry can capture, bottle and just expel into the environment because it will make us all as an antidote, that will be... I think this is also the reason that Marlene can talk more about that, but it's the reason why, you know, she chose this show to, to coincide with the summer launch and so on, because it's what everybody needs right now, is a nice dose of feel-good. So, yes, we all want to bottle it and sell it to the world. Um, and also, I'm glad you mentioned earlier, just you know, the, the whole the, the diversity of the audience, because that is one of the aims. And that was one of the reasons why Marlene wanted it there, is that we part of audience development. It, it does speak to, you know, to anybody. And also in terms of ages. Yes, it's mostly 70s, 80s kind of music, but the vibe and the energy in the room is just so electric that it speaks to so many different ages as well, across color, across race, across size, and across genders. And yeah, so it absolutely. Is. Now there was a there was a whole group of young people, and they looked so happy being there. Phenomenal to see young people, and the remixes that we hear now, and we all jive to the Elton Johns, the Dua Lipas. You know, it's uh, it comes from a context, and it comes from the context of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And yes. I felt that transition as the show went on, obviously, you know, capturing all of those eras. And there's yes. a there's a soundtrack to each of those eras in all of our heads. Absolutely, it's when music still. I, I want to say made sense, but it's not the right thing to do because it sounds exceedingly conservative to say that. It is. And old graphic. It sounds old. like we're old. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mind sounding old, but I do mind sounding conservative. So, what I would say is that yes, it comes from a very specific context. And yes, they were the forerunners, but it also speaks to its endurability, just how it endures, how it lasts forever. It's just infinite. And that music is exactly that, that we can speak through music to everybody. And sometimes we, you know, like we're doing now, we can chew the cud and we can speak as much as we like. And sometimes people just don't listen to us, but they sit and they listen to that music. 
And I think it's that that is the allure of music and how we can speak through this universal language. And yeah, I think that my cast really do well with that. They understand it and they love it and they, yeah, they perform it. Wonderful. Now, Rafik, you know, we learned a new word during COVID. It's a word called pivot. How do we pivot during these times? And I think that the beauty of music from this era is that it is able to be translated and interpreted and really is a beautiful example of how to pivot in different generations. Yes, I really love that as well. It's such a lovely word. Also comes from, you know, like you get a pirouette and you get a, you know, something that, that turns around or that turns itself around. And there were many of us that needed to do that. Marlene knows, you know, during COVID, thanks to people like Marlene, I stayed alive, you know. Uh, otherwise, it, it wasn't just the industry that was, you know, people talk about how the industry was hit very hard. It's individuals who were hit hard. Those individuals had to do something to stay alive. And it was through people like Marlene who opened the doors for us to be able to do streaming, for example, and to be able to record without any charge Mm. and still continue our trade to do work. And that kept us alive, you know? So finding that other and how, you know, we become just so versatile, we don't even know that we are that, you know. But, yeah, we do strange things when we are in tight spots. So We innovate. And I think that's... It really did teach us that. Yeah. This is becoming the mother of invention. It was... Yeah, it was something, something to behold and something we mustn't forget and take for granted now that we Absolutely. are to a, to, a, to a semblance of, of normalcy. So, yeah. Now, Marlene, we were saying earlier that uh, you embody the law of attraction. Rafik was telling us about the journey that brought him to Artscape. And, uh, you know, once you will it, the universe just brings it to you. And that is the power of positive thinking. Now, we all know that our respective industries and the people in those industries took tremendous strain. People were not going to the theater. And it was so empowering, liberating last night to be in a full theater. Everyone just resonating with what was happening on stage. I'm sure that for people like yourself, Rafik and Marlene, that being able to have that, that dynamic energy is uplifting again. Tell our listeners how they can book for that boogie show, how long it's going to run for. I love that uh, little activation spot that you have with all the funky, um, you know, the, the Instagram spot where people can take their photos. Tell us yes. all about that. So, so that boogie, it's just called That Boogie Show because we've had so many incarnations of it already from Boogie Licious to Boogie Nights to Blame It on the Boogie, you know. So we've just decided every year people just say, are you going to that boogie show? So we thought let's just call it That Boogie Show this year. So That's, that's what so clever. 
<laughs> it's called That Boogie Show, and it's on at Artscape in the Opera House, and it's only until this Sunday. We have six shows left, Thursday, Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, and the booking is through Compa Ticket. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And I can tell you that everybody's going to be looking for that elixir that uh, just get down and have great fun. And if there's a spot to do it, that is definitely in um, that boogie show, which is happening at Artscape Theatre. Rafik, it's been most wonderful chatting to you. It feels like I know you because I see your vibe. I felt your vibe last night. And I must tell you, I love that vibe. And our listeners wanting to, to get, get into some of that vibe and, and enjoy some of that uh, positive energy, must please head down to CompuTicket book for that boogie show. It is so worthwhile. It is superb entertainment. Top line, front of house, the best, I would say, poster child for the festive season as we head to All Things Festive. Thank you, Janet. Thank you so, so much. any parting words before we say goodbye to you? You've just said it so, so well, especially the word elixir. I love that word so much. It is just something that you take as a tonic and that pushes you and propels you. We just need it for the last stretch until we get to the festive season and the trifles that are awaiting. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just thank Rafik, Janet? Absolutely. <laughs> Rafik, through Janet, I want to say, I don't think South Africa honors you as a person enough. You oh, are geez. a change maker. You are a nation builder and you really bring people from all walks of life together in this particular show. It is entertainment, it is it, it, entertainment, but above all, we all feel energized and human again when you leave the show. Arlene, don't let me cry uh, in front of all these people, please. We need it, I such we need, thank you. We definitely need the Rafiks of this world to up our happiness factor. Yes. And Rafik, thank you. You mentioned trifle. The struggle is real. These hips were not made with rice and potatoes. They were made with Indian sweetmeats and dessert. So thank you for helping us to offset our, our calorie footprint before the festivals. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> all right. Wishing all. you all the best for the rest of the run. And I'm sure that our listeners are going to want to catch some of that magic from the Boogie Show. Thank you so much, Rafik. Alrighty. Bye bye, you all. Bye. You brought all the role players together the city, the province, media, and you told us with great pizzazz that you had a completely clean audit that we know us ex-public servants, how important oh. the Public Finance Management Act is. I think I still know that off by rote by now. And <laughs> it's fabulous because we see the front end of the theater, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. And, you know, I love that you brought your facilities people, your marketing team. It's 
It really is an elaborate choreography of talent and administrative and sound administrative procedure that makes your theatre such a success, Marlene. So as you head now into the festive season, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Arts Ability Festival in its eighth fabulous year of running. Marlene, what, tell us, we know we see the pictures, we see all the glitz and the glam, but what is life like as the CEO of Artscape? I think for us is to look at service. Uh, we are servant leaders for our communities. That is the fame, the most important thing for Artscape. People come to see the front part of Artscape, which is the production. But we need to look at the safety of the building. We are also bold on reclaimed land. So we're on sea. So my job, the bulk, 80% of my job is to keep this building safe, to keep the machinery also in a condition that it can be used. You spoke about lights, for instance, that's rigging, that is tracks. If that must fall onto one person, that person is dead. So we, I'm very pedantic about how, that's why there's a week of period in the new year, which is always taking place from the 2nd to the 8th, where we only do maintenance. We check every single machinery. We check the seats. We check whether, and during the year, we block off certain periods where we just will be able to look at safety. That is the back door. I always say to people, if you pay 500 rand for a ticket, I'm making an example, and your toilets are dirty, you don't have toilet paper, you don't have a clean smell type of building, will you come again? Even if you have the best production, no, you won't come again. Because you will say, why must I spend on a building that has not been kept well, not been seen to, people that doesn't care, but I must pay 500 rand. So for us, the little things of utmost importance. My people laugh when I say to them, I even every Monday go and see whether there's a curtain which is not properly pulled or whether that curtain is still hanging because I am a diva. No skew things because I must appreciate the patron that took all the effort to come to this building. So Janet, in a nutshell, like I've done yesterday, I thank these people. I let them come forward because the artists, they do took the shine. It's very important for them to take the shine. But without the lighting technician, the sound technician, the front of house, the building manager, the facility manager, the operational director, the maintenance, the cleaning, the safety, the security, the finance people to look at that we comply we are not then a fully functional theater or a complex. I say to the team, we are a government institution, but we are not going to operate with bureaucracy. Absolutely, Marlene. And I think it is the finer detail that actually makes your establishment a world-class facility. And talking about world-class, I want to chat about the Arts Ability Festival 2022, now in its eighth year of running. And I believe that you are also playing host to some international acts from the UK and the US. There's Diversity in Dance from the UK and Sensorium X from the US. It's really quite a coup to have people travel to South Africa 
to come to be part of this Arts Ability Festival, Marlene. What can you tell our listeners about this? I think most important is that uh, partnerships is key because what people don't realize, we do get, we have a lease agreement with the provincial government and the city of Cape Town also helps us, but we don't get funding for the arts. We're a building that needs to facilitate the arts. So to be able to collaborate with artists, we need our go around and I make people always laugh. I sleep with everybody in, in essence to make artists, like make art happen. And with artists with disabilities, even more because they're the lowest end of the agenda. So we forged this year relationships with the British uh, community, the UK, through the guidance of the UK Diversity Program and our long-term partner, which is Giles Agles, who has been for 21 years actually part of Artscape. So it's the Diversity in Dance UK and the performance that aims to expose all artists to different cultures through performing arts and engagement, creating a standard of work that is recognized on a global stage. But what is also important is that here are over 10 young people from the UK all over and from Scotland some of them with disabilities, some with abled body, and they are engaging with our disability artists and also able body dance artists. And they are busy with a collaborative work that's going to Edinburgh next year under the leadership of our wonderful Lumkosinati. So it's a whole collaborative that we are working with. They've got the money, Janet, I always say, but we have the energy and the talent. The same, I want to say, is that we're working with high-profile composer Paula Pristini. And you can Google her. She's an opera composer. And together, I've partnered with them since Yuri X. And the Arts Ability Festival, it is about ability, but it's also about our artists that needs to be exposed all over the world, but also to our own country and especially South Africa and the Western Cape. And we've put, take, took our opera and put it on its head because opera is one of the genres that is very intense. You need to be multi-talented and multi-layered where you need to interact with the orchestra. You need to have a brilliant voice. You need to move. You need to be an actor. You need to be of a high caliber of musician. So we said, okay, with Sincerin X, we put persons with disabilities and non-able speaking, non-speaking persons with disabilities at the center of this particular performance. And wow, the composer was just getting no's. And they know that Artscape has an Arts Ability Festival. They contacted my office and I just closed my eyes and I said, yes. Sometimes, Janet, you know that. That's why I can work with you, Miss Belay. Is that sometimes you need to take a leap of faith and need to so say, you must just make Molly happen. I love that this is an opera. It's a non-verbal opera. So if our listeners are curious, they must go onto the Artscape website and their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to find out about this great happening that's happening from the 29th all-inclusive, disability-led, inclusive arts festival. Marlene, we must chat because Dubai recently hosted the People with Determination 
symposium, which is basically a very empowering word that says we are people with abilities. We are determined. We can make any kind of change happen because we work in challenging and diverse environments. Marlene, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and to Rafik. I wish you all the best for the festive season. Any closing remarks before we say goodbye to you? My closing remarks is, uh, Janet Pillay, you were always my icon. You see an opportunity, you grab it, and you just make it work. And I've always watched you, and to be in your space again, once again, you took now to make the arts more visible. You also undertook to make it also tourism, because I want to say tourism without content is absolutely nothing. So South Africa is more than just the Table Mountain and Robben Island. The arts plays a leading role in looking at humanity, active citizens, and telling our stories to each other. Marlene, you know when people travel, they tell us we went to Broadway. We caught that show. We want exactly the same for us. Exactly. That when people come on those tour buses, when they come to conference, included in their program is one evening at the theater. Because that's what we have, is a global standard theater that can be enjoyed by all across the globe. Marlene, thank you for making that happen. It's an absolute pleasure. And we will see you soon at the theater. Definitely see you at the 7th of December with Nutcracker. See you there. Absolutely. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye. This weekly travel program, Jet Sitting with Janet, is proudly sponsored by MLT Car Hire and Tours. Are you looking for a highly professional, established vehicle rental service? Look no further. MLT Car Hire and Tours delivers on service excellence and competitive prices. Log on to mltcarhireandtours.co.za for their full range of benefits or MLT Car Hire and Tours on Facebook.